Today we're going to um, do the same passage we did last week, for those of you that were here for Easter. Um, last week we read from Acts chapter 17, and we talked about um, uh, Paul's speech at Mars Hill. And he's in Athens, he gives this speech, right? And so we talked about sort of what he said and his, his presentation of the gospel, and the resurrection and that sort of thing. Um, so that was really kind of like the, the what Paul said. Today, what we're doing is a little different. We're doing the how Paul said it. So what can we learn about sharing faith and talking about the gospel with people from this passage, right? Um, there's an episode of one of my favorite shows ever. You guys know Everybody Loves Raymond. You guys remember this show? I watch all the sitcoms from like 2000 and, you know, well, Seinfeld, I guess. But anyway, um, so there's an episode of this show where... Um, Robert is the older brother, right? And they have this rivalry, Raymond and Robert. They have this big rivalry. And Robert comes over uh, to tell everybody his good news, right? He's been, he's a police officer, and I think he got a promotion. And he shows up at the house where the whole family hangs out, you know? And when he walks in, uh, Ray is already telling everybody his bad news. So Ray had written a book that he thought was going to get published, and then the publisher called him and told him it was crap, and we're not going to do your book. And so Ray is, like, super bummed out, and he's telling everybody. And Robert is just standing there kind of in the corner, and at first he keeps quiet, but you can just see in his face because of his rivalry with Ray, too. <laughs> like, he's, he's beaming because Ray is not going well for him, and he's about to tell everybody he's promoted. And so he's just standing there, he's beaming, and so... Finally, uh, Deborah, the wife, Ray's wife, says to Robert, um, you know, what's your news, Robert? Like, you were going to tell us something? What's going on? And then all of a sudden, he just, you know, explodes. Like, he, he gets, he's all bubbly, and he gets this big grin on his face, and he tells everybody he's promoted. And uh, Ray, because he's a jerk, and that they have their rivalry, just pounds his hand on the table and walks away, right? Uh, it's a pretty funny episode. But anyway, the point of the story is... Um, the sermon today, we're going to talk a whole bunch of strategies about how to talk about Jesus with people, okay? I don't want any part of this sermon to be like, oh, John said it, and now I have to feel guilty, and I have to share my faith. So at the root of what we're doing, we need to be like Robert, right? He had this good news that he couldn't keep inside of him. So the assumption today is that, you know, we believe the gospel is good news, and we want to engage people with the good news, and sometimes we just don't quite know how, right? So when I went to seminary and in Bible college and stuff, they uh, taught us in preaching classes. Okay, here's how you write a three-point sermon. Okay, so it's like here's your main point, and then you put some subpoints and whatever, you know. Like, and it's funny how, and to make sure all the points start with the same letter. You know what I mean? I hate that. Anyway, okay, so today we're going to do a little bit different, <clears throat> not three-point sermons. Okay, we're going for the 15-point sermon, okay? <laughs> so we're going to read through the passage again. We're going to break the world record for the most, um, most points in a sermon, right? I forget, did you say the version ended up working? Are all these in there? Okay, so you don't have to write these down furiously because they're all in the version. Um, so what we're going to do is, well, first, the list of what we're about to do is not an exhaustive list, right? This is not everything about how to share your faith with somebody. Um, but what this is, is just some helpful things I noticed 
a long time ago when I was studying this passage. <coughs> wow, Paul had some interesting tactics here when he was sharing his faith, right? So I just started writing them down, and I thought as I was going through, I would end up with one or two or three or four, you know? And anyway, uh, the original version of this was 16 points, but I combined one of them for you guys because I thought, 16, <laughs> that's a bit much. So we're doing a 15-point sermon. All right, so we'll start in uh, verse 1. Now, while Paul, I'm sorry, verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So, <clears throat> uh, yeah, so the first point is this. Paul had a biblical view of why sin is bad. This is his starting point. So, oh, with each of these points, we're going to talk about what's the temptation and the mistake we make with this and how Paul did it right. So this is going to be, you know, each of them. So when he walks in, he, into Athens, right, he sees uh, this whole city full of people who don't know Jesus. And it says his spirit was uh, provoked within him, right? Because he knew that what was going on was bad for these people, right? So the mistake a lot of times people make, uh, believers make, is, well, sin's not really that bad. It's just breaking some sort of an arbitrary rule that God set up for some reason. Um, we soften the message about what sin is and what it, what it does. Paul's tactic... Is that a bear? Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know we had bears here. Uh, Paul's tactic was to, a little different. His tactic was to be real about sin. And because he understood how bad it was. Um, do you guys remember that show, House? I love that show. Okay, so House. How would you describe House as a doctor, bedside manner-wise? Blunt and direct, mean, not great, bedside manner. He always just sort of really told it like it was and hurt people's feelings, and he didn't really care. Okay, do you remember his friend Wilson? How was his? He was a cancer doctor, right? Do you remember the difference between them? How was his bedside manner? Anybody remember? Like what kind of doctor he was? House was always ragging on him. Yeah, he was like compassion. He was a good doctor, right? And like he would sit with people and people would be crying and he'd hold their hand and that sort of thing, right? Well, here's the thing. I feel like when a lot of Christians see this, Paul had a biblical view of why sin is bad. They immediately go to, great, that means I have to act like a house when I'm talking to people. There's a way to be Wilson, right, where you're giving people the truth. Hey, there's a cancer, right? But you're doing it in a way that's, um, that's helpful, right? And we got to do this when we talk about sin with people. We got to do it in a way that shows that we care about truth and we care about people. Okay, so that's the first one. Here's the second one, Acts 17, 17. So he reasoned in the synagogues, a synagogue with the Jews and devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. So Paul walks into Athens and then number two, what does he do? Well, his heart is broken by the sin. So what does he do? He, if I can click forward, he acted on his broken heart. He did something about it. He looked at what the sin was doing to people, and he didn't. So the mistake we make, I think a lot of times, goes like this. Wow, I really hope somebody does something about this evangelism stuff. I really hope somebody else shares the faith. Um, for us, what we could do is focus on our problems as a church. You know, there's a lot of ways to, to turn inward and say, wow, I really hope reality does a good job at this. You know, they're a big church. They've got more resources, sort of a thing. Or... 
we could eventually do something about it. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones was one of my favorites. He was a preacher in uh, London during like, I don't know, the 30s to the 80s, I guess, somewhere near 40s to the 80s. And um, he once preached a two-part sermon, kind of like this is a two-part sermon. And, but he did it in the morning, and then everybody went home for lunch and then came back in the evening. And in the morning, he preached about the brokenness of people. And in the evening, he preached the gospel of grace, right? So he talked about, so in the morning, here's the problem. In the evening, here's how to solve the problem. Well, anyway, that was during World War II. And then the middle of the afternoon, the Germans bombed London. (laughs) And people died. A bunch of people died during the bombing between his two sermons. And it got Lloyd-Jones, the doctor, that's what we call him, because he was a doctor before. Anyway. It got him thinking, boy, what if somebody heard the beginning of that sermon and then died in the afternoon? And it really started to bug him. And so he changed the way he preached and he vowed to never end a sermon without preaching the gospel again. But um, that's kind of how, like, I think we should feel, right? Is there's people out there who need Jesus. We can't think, oh, I'll just wait and tell them later. They can hear tonight when they show up, right? So what we should do is something, right? At our church, what's our our thing. What do we do? What's it called? Papst. Pray for people, ask them about their lives, bless them in ways nobody else would, share your personal story with them, talk to them about the gospel. Just like the beer, right? Papst. Um, What I don't want for our church um, is for you guys to all think, oh man, I hope those other guys are doing something. Right? This This Papst missional living stuff only works if you guys are actually doing it. If just me and Melissa are doing it and that's it, it's not going to work. All right, keep going. Uh, From the same verse, he took the gospel downtown, right? Oh, wait. uh, Oh, I lied. Nope. Yeah, there we go. Three, he knew the gospel well enough to share it. This is a quick one. The mistake here that people make is they don't know the gospel well enough to even talk about it. Could you imagine that? Like, what do you do for a living? Oh, I work in... High finance, okay? And then somebody asks you a question about high finance, and you go, I don't, I don't know about that. <laughs> and then they ask you another question about money, and you're like, oh, that's interesting. I never thought of that. <laughs> right? Or, you know what I mean? Followers of Jesus, this is our whole, you know, this should infect everything that we do in our lives. And so we want to be the kind of people um, who learn constantly, are learning and growing and understanding the gospel well enough to talk about it. The danger here is I'm not smart enough yet, so I'm going to learn some stuff and then I'm going to share the faith. Um, That doesn't really work either, right? Talking with people about Jesus is like Paul got saved, right, in in the book of Acts, and like literally the next thing he did was he went into a synagogue and started talking to people about Jesus. Right? And so you don't have to be perfect to talk to people about Jesus, but you should know the gospel well enough. Right? All right. The fourth thing from the same verse, he took the gospel downtown, meaning um, one, one mistake I think a lot of churches make is they think the world works like this. We just put on a Sunday, and then everybody will come, and they'll hear the gospel. And the truth is, that's not how the world works anymore. Right? There are... 15 people at brunch today for every one person that's in a church in San Francisco. People go to brunch. They don't go to church anymore. And so our, our whole setup here at the porch, you know, we've talked about this before, but it, what we say is our Sunday mornings are always going to be super okay. 
you know, we're, they're not going to be super polished and fancy, and sometimes I'm going to forget to turn the thing on. And sometimes, do you guys remember when we sang um, Joy to the World and I didn't know where to put the capo? Remember that? And then it was just like on the thing that said capo 7 or whatever. And it was just a brain fart. But I mean, that's, the, that's our Sundays, right? That's how it's going to work. We're going to worship and we're going to enjoy Jesus and each other, but it's not going to be perfect. And people aren't going to come here to, you know, as the only place they learn about Jesus. So the point is we want to build relationships with people and have them over for dinner. And we want to go to where the people are. Um, and we want to uh, take the gospel to them, right? Um, and so that's our big thing, right? Is how are you, this is the most important one, right? How are you leveraging your hobbies, your life, your work, your family? How are you leveraging that stuff for the gospel? So we have a couple of examples that I can point out that's really great. These guys do their Dungeons and Dragons sometimes if people show up. <laughs> uh, we're doing Dork Night, right? With We're inviting people to Dork Night uh, for Star Trek. Steven's got his Jesus otaku. All right, it's just, this is what we do, right? We look around at what do we already do, and we say, how can I use this to meet people so I can go to them with the gospel? We can't just expect everybody. It happens, but, you know, it's not usual. All right, um, here we go, this verse. Uh, verse 18, so some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. So look at where it says here, uh, they conversed with him. The Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers conversed with him. The conversation goes two ways, which means Paul actually listened to other people. How many... How much of our evangelism training, go share the faith, focuses only on this is what you should say, right? But do you remember, I mean, a couple of you were there. I don't think Paul was there uh, when I, uh, we were at my mom's for the weekend and we did the how to listen to people's stories, right? That's important. Um, this is what Paul was doing. This is Paul's example. He's conversing with people. We want to let people, remember the Francis Schaeffer quote I've used a hundred times from that weekend. I don't even know the exact quote, but he basically said like, if I have an hour to talk with somebody about Jesus, I'm going to spend 55 minutes listening. That's such good advice, right? Because people are interesting and they have stories and they believe things for a reason and they've gotten to the place they are in life because of this huge backstory. And we want to hear that whole story so that we can help them process the things of faith. But so many Christians, what we do is we have these conversations with people, and this is so awful, but we do it, where we just wait for them to shut up so we can get to the good stuff, and we can talk. It's horrible. And what it says to people is, I'm more important than you, I'm better than you, and you're just a project for me. right? So we have to be real good listeners. I think Paul was probably a pretty good listener. Um, but at the same time, Paul was upfront about his, his faith. It says in that verse, he preached Jesus and the resurrection. Right, so the mistake we make, right, is sort of, yeah, I'm going to go and I'm going to start dork night and I'm going to invite my friends who aren't believers and I'm going to have Dungeons and Dragons or I'm going to go do whatever. I'm going to go play basketball with people or whatever it is that you do, your hobbies. You're going to leverage your hobbies to meet people and then those people are never going to find out that you're a believer and you're going to sort of hide the truth under a lamp the way Jesus talks about it. And so on the one side of the conversation, Paul was listening but on the other side of the conversation, he was upfront about who he was. Right? There was a, 
you know, they probably asked him, why are you a Jewish guy here in Athens? You know, why are you traveling around? Oh, because I'm here to tell people about Jesus. Um, yeah, so he's upfront about his faith. All right, let's keep going. Verse 20, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing uh, something new. Oh, wait, I need to keep going. I didn't put... Oh, wait, I did. Here we go. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious, for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, what you therefore worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. So do you guys remember the from last week what I said about the unknown God? They had this thing where they were afraid that long story, but they were afraid that they had angered, there was a plague in Athens hundreds of years earlier, they were afraid they had angered a god nobody knew about. So what they did was they put up a bunch of statues to the unknown gods, right, all over the city. By Paul's time, a lot of these statues were still here. So Paul walks into town and um, he sees these statues. While he's at Mars Hill, he used that as a starting point. So this is our seventh point. See, we're flying through. This isn't going to take all day, right? You guys freaked out when I said 15-point sermon. You were like, 15? A one-point sermon takes 40. Anyway, uh, he started on common ground, right? He was building bridges. He built bridges. Um, the mistake a lot of us make in with talking with people about our faith is assuming we don't start on common ground. And I've seen this so, so often. People just assume that everybody should treat the Bible as an authority in their life, right? So you're having a conversation with somebody who's not a believer, and you go, well, the Bible says blah, blah, blah. The Bible says that you need to behave like this, but, you know. Um, that's not starting on common ground, right? All of a sudden, what you did was you threw up a wall, and they said, now I don't care about anything that you have to say because you are not crossing the bridge. So when we engage with people with the whole Pabst Blue Ribbon thing, step one is this. Be willing to exit your comfort zone and move into their comfort zone. Right? This whole process should be uncomfortable for you, not for the other person that you're hanging out with and investing your life in and loving and serving. If they're uncomfortable and you're comfortable, you're doing it absolutely wrong. So what you have to do is move into their world and make it comfortable for them. Right? You want to cross, you want to cross those bridges. And that's exactly what Paul does. He, he's in their world and he's using the things of their world as a starting point in this conversation about Jesus, right? And so this is why we read books that aren't Christian books. We watch TV shows. Uh, we read articles and listen to podcasts and music. And uh, we do it, though, with redemptive eyes to understand the world around us better so that we can have these conversations with people. Um, all right, keep going. Verse 24, the, he, so this is Paul's speech now. The God who made the world and everything in it being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation... Cool motorcycle. Uh, he made from uh, one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods in the boundaries of their dwelling place. All right, so our eighth point is... He preached about 
a sovereign God, right? So Paul had a biblical view of God and man's relationship and status. So the mistake is when sharing or even when thinking about God ourselves, uh, I've talked about this a bunch. I don't know if you guys remember this, but there's this book that was written in 2005 called Soul Searching. And what this these two um, kind of sociologists people did, they went around and they asked a bunch of youth group kids in churches about God. And they noticed a trend and wrote a whole book about it. And their, their, what they called this trend was moral therapeutic deism. Right? So all these youth group kids, this is what they actually believed about God. He wants you to behave. He, he's your therapist. And he's there when you need him. That's the, so moral, therapeutic. But deism in that like, meaning he's not involved in your everyday life unless you need him to be. And so th- they were talking about how much then this moral therapeutic deism is seeped into churches. And this is what we believe about God. It's like those State Farm. Do you guys remember back in the day, those State Farm commercials when people get in an accident and then they would go, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And then the guy would pop up and fix all their problems. Okay, so that's like moral therapeutic deism. It's the State Farm God. Like a good neighbor, Jesus is there. He fixes your stuff and then he disappears until you need him again, right? But that's not the God of the Bible, right? And so the, the example that Paul preaches here is that God is absolutely in control. He's a big God. He is the creator. He sets the parameters of everything, right? He's the one who, uh, who decides, you know, everything that happens in the universe. And um, uh, Paul is trying to inspire in these Athenian guys awe, the awe that comes from looking out and seeing God's creative work. If you've been camping, anybody been camping recently? Okay, so you're out there and you're camping. You're sleeping on the floor like an animal, right? <laughs> Just kidding. I'm not a big camping guy. But you're out there, you're sleeping on the floor. You know, you look outside of your tent, and you look up in the sky, and what do you see? They have, yeah, bears. Yeah, exactly. That's why I don't go camping. I'm deathly afraid of bears. <laughs> and then, okay, time out, complete sidetrack here. I was afraid of bears anyway, and then I saw the revenant, where that bear squishes his head, and now I am very afraid of bears. <laughs> yeah. One of the scariest moments of my life was I was heading to my mom's when she still lived in paradise. And it was the middle of the day, and I was on this back road, and it was a bear on the yellow lines laying on the concrete of this little two-lane road that hasn't been paved in 60 years. Just chilling. And it was a big one. This guy eats his Wheaties, you know what I mean? And my options were try to fly past this bear or turn around and drive a half hour that way and then an hour around. And I stopped and he was looking at me like, what's this guy going to do? And I went for it. I was like, I'm going to go down his backside. It'd take him a sec to turn around and eat me. And I went right past him and he didn't move at all. And he just kind of looked at me. (laughs) That was annoying and he went back to sleep. Uh, But anyway, bears, right? Okay, so anyway, back to the Bible and stuff. So you're out there. You're looking at, they have stars in the rest of the world. We don't have those here in San Francisco. Uh, And you're just filled with this sense of like awe and wonder that God created all of this, right? He's a big God. That's what Paul is preaching here. He's talking about how big God is. He's trying to instill that in people. All right, uh, uh, next verse. Um, That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is uh, not actually far from each one of us. 
So the ninth idea is he preached the futility of man's efforts in seeking God. Okay, so the mistake is, and this is how everything in our culture works, okay, outside of like Christian faith basically, is that somewhere deep down within you is good. You're a good person, right? You do bad things, but you're really you're a good person. And you need to spend your life being introspective and trying to find the good within you, right? And be true to yourself and all this sort of stuff. Uh, that's the world view of Western culture, right? And so uh, the answer in Scripture is very different, is people are really messed up, and deep down within us is not good, is bad, is evil, and fallenness. And um, uh, we need to be honest with people that the way this works is not you find God, it's God is finding you. God is reaching down and getting you. And this idea, though, of like deep down within you is not good. Um, Francis Schaeffer, who was one of my heroes, he was this um, theologian guy in the 60s, and he moved to Switzerland and spent all of his money buying like a, a cabin up in the woods, you know, like a ski chalet kind of thing. And he built this place, um, I don't know how to say it, I forget what it was called, but him and his wife and his kids lived there, and they just invited people to come live with them and talk about Jesus or faith or whatever. And over the years, hundreds of people became believers, and he was just super hospitable, and they spent a lot of time cleaning up puke and, you know, from drug addicts, and, you know, he was a great dude, right? This guy was, like, living the gospel. Well, anyway, he had this great illustration in one of his books where he could, you know, because he spent his whole life talking with people who believed this stuff, right? All day, this is what he did. And he said this, uh, imagine, he would tell people, imagine you had a tape recorder, this is back when that was a thing, right? So imagine you had the notes, no, what's the app on your phone? Um, voice memos. Okay, imagine you had the voice memos, I'm updating his illustration, in your pocket, recording everything that ever happened in your life, okay? And, and uh, someday, on Judgment Day, or no, let's say it doesn't even record everything you do. All it records is when you tell somebody you should fill in the blank. Okay? You need to live like this. This is what you need to do. Then on Judgment Day, God says, okay, you didn't hear about Jesus while you're alive, fine. I mean, that's not how it works, but just imagine for the story. I'm a fair God. All I'm going to do is judge you on your own standard. And so he plays back the tape recorder where you told people how to live. And then God's going to go, is that how you lived? And there's not a single person in the entire world that can hold up to that sort of scrutiny. We tell people, you should be honest. And then we turn around and we lie. We tell people, hey, you should not be so angry. And then we roll down our window and we tell people who drive what we really think of them. Which, by the way, okay, never mind. I'm not going to get into that. Um, right? Nobody's going to pass that standard. Why? Because deep down, we don't even live up to our own standards. Deep down is, is not good is bad, right? So, that's Paul's thing, right? We're never going to find God on our own. We need him to find us. He keeps going, verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. So if you remember from last week, I talked about this. Paul is quoting two poems about Zeus, and he's saying, you guys know how that's about Zeus? You think that's about Zeus? But that's actually how my God really works. So the tenth idea is Paul knew the culture and he engaged it, right? We've talked about this. He redeemed what he could. He rejected what was idolatrous. The mistake Christians make is 
you guys know about, what do I call it? Uh, the bomb shelter church. We're all just going to get together and let the world burn around us, right? It's a horrible way to do church, right? We create our own subculture. We have our own music. Uh, we don't, you know, somebody tells us, oh, I watched this show. And we go, oh, but that's not a Jesus show. You know what I mean? Um, that was the kind of church culture I grew up in. Paul's method was engage the culture without surrendering the truth of the gospel. So you can watch these TV shows and you can say, how would the gospel speak in this situation? What does this show teach me about the way people outside think? And so uh, he used this culture to show them their need for Jesus. He goes, you guys have these unknown gods. He did this twice. You have the unknown gods and you have these poets. And they're asking all these questions and Jesus is the answer to all these questions. All right, keep going. The 11th one, uh, 29. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art and imagination of man. So the next one is he confronted the world's idolatry. He basically goes, you guys have all these gold statues that you made. How are you going to make your own God? What kind of sense does that make? So idolatry, though, is not just building a little statue, right? Idolatry is anything in your life that you think is going to fulfill you in a way that only God can. And you say, this is my thing. This is whatever it is. So how do we do this? We do this with work. We do this with family. So it can be good things, right? There's nothing wrong with work and family. But if you lift those to like God level status, all of a sudden you're making a huge mistake. And what happens is, oh, my marriage now is this thing that I'm basically worshiping. If I did this, I'd be putting so much pressure on Melissa to be God. All it would do is crush her and ruin our marriage. Right? Or a lot of people do this with their kids. If my kid doesn't end up playing for Duke basketball, I'm never going to live. You know, I can't live anymore. Sort of like we put this pressure that people can't handle that pressure. So the mistake here with this idolatry business is a lot of times when we're sharing the faith, we talk to people about surface level problems. We never talk to them about idolatry. And we tell them about our own lives and surface level problems. And we don't tell them about our own idolatry. Right? Idolatry is the root underneath the sin. And so we say, well, this is what Jesus thinks about sex, but we don't get into like the whole narrative of the biblical picture of sexuality and how I have different forms of it can become idolatrous. Right? And so Paul's answer then is to call out those root problems. Right? He didn't come out and challenge in the speech. He didn't talk about temple prostitution, which was a big problem, or the rampant drunkenness that came with these pagan festivals and stuff. Those are the surface level problems. He goes straight to the idolatry. You guys have the wrong God. You're putting your hope in the wrong thing. All right, here we go. Keep going for number 12. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. So this one's easy. He encouraged people to repent. The mistake here that we make when talking with folks is inviting people to come to Jesus without some sort of repentance. Um, we should be careful about this, right? The whole Jesus loves you exactly the way you are. Yeah, that's true, right? And it's important to let people know that, especially people who don't feel loved. We want to tell them that. Jesus loves you exactly the way you are, and that's true. But we don't want that to be the end of the story. Right? The second half of that is that's true, but he also loves you too much to leave you like this. Right? So he loves you. His love is all-encompassing, but because he loves you, he, needs, he, he wants you to repent. 
and turn from. This goes back to what was that our first one was he had a realistic view of why sin is bad. If you have that realistic view of why sin is bad, and you're going to encourage people to turn away from the sin, right? It's like helping somebody who struggles with alcohol, maybe. Let's just pick one, right? If somebody is drinking themselves to death, the loving thing to do is say, look, I love you no matter what, but I also want to help you get out of this pattern that's destructive for you. And that's what repentance is. It's turning away from sin and turning towards Jesus. And so that's what Paul does here, and he does it um, in a great way. All right, keep going. Just a couple more. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. Uh, oh, wait, sorry, there's more here. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So he talks about um, the, the coming judgment and then the resurrection stuff. So here's number 13. He was upfront about the judgment of God. He didn't Soften the message to be accepted. Okay, so in our culture, real quick, I'm actually reading another book about this right now, so you guys are going to hear all about this in a few weeks probably because that's how sermons work. Uh, but in our culture, the way uh, we've, you know, we've beat this to death already, but the way, the way it works is the way that we get our identity has changed. So it used to be you get your identity from your family, from your clan, from your religion, from something like that. Well, now, the way you find meaning is within yourself. So the worst thing you can do in our culture is to not be true to yourself. And what that means is if I come to you and I say, hey, I think this thing you're doing is wrong, I'm actually committing the worst sin that we can commit in our culture, which is telling somebody else your truth is wrong. So the idea that somewhere out there is a God who gets to decide what's right or wrong and then judge people for it, right now is literally the worst thing that you can say to somebody in our culture. So what do we do? Do we soften that truth when we're talking to people? That's the temptation. Because talking about judgment is going to immediately put people off. So we got to do this with some tact and some wisdom. But we don't want to change the word of God because the way that our culture thinks has changed. We want to be upfront because here's the thing. If people don't turn and repent, they are literally going to stand before the throne room of God and face the wrath of God. And that is absolutely terrifying. And so if we keep that truth in the front of our minds and keep the idea of love and wisdom, we'll be able to handle this well. We'll be able to help people navigate through repentance and that sort of stuff because if they don't, they really are going to face this judgment. Right? It's like not telling the alcoholic person, this is what's at the end of the road for you, man. Right? Like, I mean, I, there was a guy at my old church who literally drank himself to death. And the way he died, it was horrible, right? The end of his life. And like not sharing that with somebody who might end up going through that. And not like if I had a friend who was an alcoholic and I didn't share the story about my other friend who died from this, that'd be horrible. That, I'd be a bad friend if I did that. That's the idea. So, we, But we want to do it with tact and wisdom, right? We don't want to just, you know... You know, you're all going to burn and stand outside the giant stadium as people walk by, right? Everybody hates that guy, don't we? Right? All right, keep going. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, keep going. Verse, where are we? 20, no, sorry, 32. All right, we have two more. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. So some people made fun of him. Uh, some wanted to hear more. Look, that's how it works. Okay, 
Um, the mistake is avoiding talking about the deep things of faith with people and having these conversations with our friends uh, because we want to save face. Let's be real. I'm going to be honest with you. Being an evangelical, I mean theologically, that word I don't like it anymore because it's all political now, but you know, evangelical in the sense of like what we believe theologically. Being an evangelical follower of Jesus is not going to win you any popularity contest in San Francisco. You know how I get out of jury duty? What do you do? I'm an evangelical pastor. Thank you. You can go, right? <laughs> it's not, it, people don't like us, and they don't like what we believe. And the mistake here is when we try to figure out a way to have everybody love us and to share the gospel, it's not going to happen, okay? The gospel is countercultural, especially now. And there are going to be people who say, that's what you believe, what are you, an idiot? And they're going to make jokes. And okay, it's not the end of the world, but that, that is how it works. Um, I love, I'm reading this book right now about like the history of, I'm reading a couple books, about the history of evangelism. And I was really convicted by this as I was prepping this sermon. Um, the, we're very afraid of somebody maybe thinking a little bit less of us. And then I read about these folks in like the first and second century who literally would share faith with people after the Romans made it against the law. Like there was one guy who got really concerned because a bunch of the Christians were refusing to join the army. So he made it against the law for anybody to convert to Christianity. And then these believers were going out there and they were sharing their faith. And the Romans said, hey, cut it out or we're going to kill you. And then they did it anyway. And then they took these people and they literally brought him into an arena, left him out there while everybody watched, and then they filled the arena with like lions and tigers that they hadn't fed for weeks. And these lions and tigers ripped these people apart. And some of these people, they would flog them beforehand. And then they would throw them out there and they would feed them to these lions and tigers. You think getting eaten by the revenant bear sucks, right? Getting eaten by a lion sucks. That's one of the worst ways to go. It's not quick. Have you ever seen, okay, so I'm on this subreddit called Nature is Metal, and I don't recommend it. I've seen videos on this thing of like a lion where one lion pins down the gazelle and then the other one eats it alive. But, you know, this thing's trying to get away sort of thing. And I'm thinking of that, and I'm thinking of these people and what they must have gone through to share the faith. And it's still, it's worth it. They're in heaven, glad that they did it. Right, So in our culture, nobody is going to feed you to the lions. That's the good news. The bad news is they're going to think less of you and they're going to make fun of you. And it's not going to win you any popularity contests. But the good, I guess the other part is we don't really, not that we don't care what people think of us, but we care way more what God thinks of us. And if you keep that perspective, you can act like Paul. You can act like these first century believers who were absolutely amazing. All right, here's the last one. But some men joined him and believed among those who were Dionysus the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. All right, here's the last one. Paul worked in the power of the Spirit, not his own power, right? As he spoke to ears, God spoke to hearts. This is the important thing. We talked about this a little bit last week. Paul never finished the sermon. It seems like he got halfway, maybe two-thirds of the way through the sermon, 
And then they all started making fun of him and laughing in his face, and they kicked him out. I have never had that happen in a sermon where everybody, and I mean, I'll be honest, that sounds terrible, right? If all of you started, this is really what you think, John, and you all started laughing, and you made fun of me, and you called me an idiot, and you walked out the door. I'd be like, oh boy, that sucks. (laughs) That's what happened to Paul here. But at the same time, people were converted. A few people were saved through this speech that Paul made. So he did a he did a good job, which is why we're studying how he did it. It didn't actually go very well, and then people were saved anyway, while a bunch of other people made fun of him. So our responsibility is to share the faith, to engage people in our Pabst Blue Ribbon thing, and then let the Holy Spirit work. I would never want to give you the impression that if you follow the Pabst Blue Ribbon uh, outreach pathway, whatever we call it, that all of a sudden everybody around you is going to, it's a magic formula that people are going to get saved. All it is, it's a formula that we use to try to engage people, but we have to leave room for the spirit to work. If somebody becomes a believer, it's not because you did Pabst really well. It's because the spirit opened their hearts to believe. And if somebody laughs in your face, it's not because you did a terrible job, right? The spirit works in people's hearts and their lives. And so what we do is we're faithful to share, we're faithful to love and bless and serve people, and then let the Spirit do His thing. And then the results are not up to us, but the faithfulness is up to us. Right? Alright, so that's, the, that's our 15 points. Made it through. Shorter than some of the other sermons, actually. I still got four minutes on my timer. What do you guys want to talk about for four minutes? No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to end just by reading a verse. From Romans, this is how we're going to end. I don't have this verse in the slides, so just uh, listen to this, and then we'll stand and we'll sing a song together. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ.